0: I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is with nothing to say. Let's talk about the 1992 movie Candyman. So this week, it was neither of us, I got, well, I suppose neither of us had seen the movie, but we kind of talked about what we were going to watch. And with the new Candyman coming out, I kind of wanted to watch the original because I had a lot of interest in the new one. I'd heard a lot about the original, but I'd never really like seen it. I'd heard of it. I'd seen like scenes from it, but I don't know. I, I'd, I'd wanted to see it. So how would you describe the original Candyman, Andrew?
1: It's a nineties, gothic uh, super and horror film. About a supernatural ghost figure called Candyman, who has a difficult history, and therefore he he kills because of what happened to him. You know, pretty you know basic you slasher ghost story. Fair um in terms of like there's a ghost and it's going around and it's killing people and it's a slasher thing. And yeah, no, I've heard about it for a while too, so it's cool to watch it. Uh, Based on Barker short story. Have you watched any Clive? Parker movies at all?
0: Mm-mm. I don't think so.
1: Like Clive Barker, he was—he's a, a British novelist and writer, and he's also a director, and screenwriter, and he directed one of my favorite horror films, wrote and directed uh, *Hellraiser*, which is now like a big series and stuff. There's like fucking ten movies, but the first two are like really, really good, especially the first movie. And there are a lot of like similarities between *Hellraiser* and *Candyman*. *Hellraiser* is more like a kind of like a psychosexual thing, but *Candyman* also has that too a little bit. But *Hellraiser* is a little bit more usual fare because it's like in a suburb and it's like at this house and it's like a teenage girl is like kind of like our main character and she's running around and stuff but Hellraiser is a great movie and um, I like Clive Barker and I think his uh he's an interesting writer but I know he didn't do the script for this though it was Bernard Rose who directed it of course.
0: I also uh I should point out now that in preparation for this I did watch both Candyman so I saw the original and then like two days later I went to the theater and saw the second Candy or It's not really a remake. It's more of a continuation of the original Candyman. And I might talk about it a bit. I'll try not to like spoil the new Candyman, at least not for you, Andrew.
1: I'll probably watch it this
0: week. It's good. There's some interesting like deviations from the original that I don't know if I agree with. I think visually the new one is more, I guess, just because I don't know. I probably just because of a bigger budget. But I, I think some of the ideas from the original are kind of lost or transformed in ways that I don't know if they work or not but I'll I'll get into that later so you open up on the like sound of like bees like buzzing like bees just like buzzing around and uh, the very first shot is like correct me if I'm wrong I'm pretty sure it's it's been like a week since I've seen this movie now but the opening scene is the bees right it's just like a, a bunch of like bees
1: no, it's uh, the city. It's the city of Chicago overhead as it's going across the cityscape.
0: When does the bee scene happen?
1: Uh, which bees are you talking about, and when?
0: Like, where it's just like a bunch of bees. Um,
1: I don't know. When she opens the toilet, there's a bunch of bees, but that's later in the movie. Yeah, I guess
0: I don't know what I'm thinking of.
1: The the movie opens up, Overhead Bird's Eye View, a shot of the city of Chicago. It's a very, very Chicago-y movie. You know, you get hit with the uh, Philip Glass score, which is great. Big fan of Philip Glass. And it's, uh, you know, pulsating, uh, uh, you know, minimalism, classical music. Very good. Yeah, and it's just like going over the city of Chicago. And then uh, you're introduced, of course, to Helen, who is studying at the University of Illinois in Chicago. She's researching um, Mm -hmm. urban legends. And we learn she, the very beginning scene is when a person, a student is talking to her about a story that she knew about someone who was killed by Candyman, which is established that if you look in the mirror and you see Candyman five times, he'll appear and he'll murder you. The student tells her a story about how it happened. And Helen's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And she's like kind of researching it. He's got like a big hook and a bloody stump thing that was disgusting. A hook. We don't really see him until later. They of course build him up a lot. But yeah, she's like st- this and she's a scientist or whatever so she's like eh, whatever it's all whatever you know she's inspired to take it on because she learned about a woman who was murdered in a suburban home while babysitting and then yeah she's just kind of you know she's a meticulous woman Helen and yeah I think like she's just like trying to learn more about the candy man and she does a couple of different things I think at one point too you know those two cleaning ladies they come and they talk to her about it and uh yeah she's just kind of like right now at this point in the movie, she's collecting more information. We also learned about her husband as well in the beginning, a little bit.
0: Yeah, and we meet Bernadette, who of course is another major character who's the other grad student, I guess, on this project. And I I think it's important to note that this movie is about myth, but it's also about what those kind of myths mean and how myths, because her, her whole research paper is this idea about myths and urban legends and how they affect the real world and real ideas, which is a really strange experience to be part of as a movie because the movie itself is a myth. It is an experience and it's a way to adapt the world. And through a lot of it, and especially beginning, you see that her arguments basically that they use Candyman. Candyman isn't real. They use Candyman as a way to justify the horrors of poverty, torture, police brutality, and a lot of the things that come along with the ways in which rich wealthy people specifically and typically white people prey upon the poor working class and typically black working class.
1: Yeah, it's also a movie about the urban landscape. It's about uh, living in the city. It's about city life as it is for uh, poor people and black people. You know, typically a horror movie might be like on a campground If you're talking like *Right Friday the 13th or like a, a, a suburban neighborhood which you know I love those settings they're great but I like this one too because it kind of is a deviation from that a little bit where it's just kind of focuses on like apartment buildings and projects which are great those areas look where they're filming in the pro- it looks like they're really out there too so it's great and yeah it's just like kind of a movie about kind of what has and hasn't changed like 100 or 200 years ago I guess you might say it's very interesting but we'll talk I guess we'll talk more about that
0: I also think it's interesting that especially going to the year, the second one, or I I don't know. I don't I don't really know how to describe a sequel, I guess. One of the major points of the original is that it is from an outsider, is from middle class, wealthy-ish white grad student. And you know, her partner Bernadette, who although is black, is also middle class, going to areas that are impoverished and mostly minorities and kind of it's from the perspective of Helen. It's from the perspective of, you know, much like a lot of the, I would argue, a lot of the viewers who were seeing the film back in 1992, right? It's a lot of people who weren't of that class. It's people kind of looking in. It's exploring the world of kind of, it's watching someone watch someone kind of, right? Because we're kind of not part of this world. And there's, I think there's a certain terror in that itself is that, and perhaps the terror of Helen is that she, becomes part of of a world that at the beginning she kind of just watches right she has her her camera and she's constantly taking pictures which is just like I suppose it's one of the things that's always sort of conflicted me about documentaries because a lot of documentaries profit off the wealth of other people's pain whether they be impoverished or whether they be I don't know, in in some sort of circumstance that they're in pain, right? You're making a documentary, you're going in, you're filming those people and then you're going off and then you're making money off it, which is always kind of feels sort of, I don't know. I've always felt sort of weird about the whole experience because you are using their pain for your advantage. It reminds me a lot of, I'm, I'm reading right now for our next project. I just read this book called Patient HM. And basically the idea of Patient HM is He's this guy who doesn't have any memory. Like he lost all short-term memory after like the year 19, I don't know, 52 or something. And so for the next like 40 years, MIT did like millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of research on this guy. You know, and just like tons of research made you know, billions and billions of dollars off of the research that they did on this guy. And this guy never saw a penny of it. And it's just, I think in this way, that's what this film is also about. It's about this exoticizing, it's about this, preying on other people's lives so you can you know write go back home and write a paper on it I don't know it's it's a strange experience as a viewer because you're you're not really sure like which side you're on you know
1: but and to kind of talk a little bit more about that Helen though is completely relatable and she's like her intents are very clear and not like evil. she's totally fine you know? I mean, She's, she's in people and she's also great so like I see what you mean but then on the other side of it I think like that character played kind of creates some amount of relatability because she is a very nice person she's a very trying to you know she's trying to just understand people obviously you're right you know like obviously like when you're writing a thesis you're hoping that it gets picked up so you can make some money off of it so yeah there is like kind of like an exploitation element to it but I didn't think that Helen was like horrible mm-hmm. like a horror person or an exploitative person but that is like kind of an aspect of it that is interesting yeah just to talk a little bit about Helen you know I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good character obviously the perspective of her is questionable and like you said they kind of change that a little bit in the next movie which is nice but I think she's a good character I think she's like really good and um, interesting and uh, she goes through a lot in the movie and uh, (laughs) like so yeah just to say like they, they find out that the Cabrini Breen housing project tons of people have been killed there by Candyman including Ruthie Jean and I think before that before they go to the Cabrini Green Helen and Bernadette you know they're having a few drinks in the apartment building and Helen's like hey check this shit out like the apartment building I live in right now used to be like a housing project which yeah has kind of like a you know a metaphor kind of thing you know she's like you know they like you know painted over the walls and stuff and look here in the bathroom you know if you can see the apartment over the other side I'm guessing that's like they did that to save money I yeah. guess you know if you move the bathroom mirror you can move the other one and you can see the apartment on the other side and uh they say Candyman the mirror too specifically uh Helen does and nothing happens and then they go to the scene of Ruthie Jean's murder so they visit the project on Cabrini Green
0: yeah Cabrini Green is I mean I I assume that they actually went I assume Cabrini Green it may not be the same name but was a real uh it's,
1: it's it's a real place
0: Okay, okay. So they shot on location and you know, there's uh, yeah,
1: they at least shot outside. outside. I don't
0: know, probably not inside, Uh, (laughs) but I mean, it it legitimately looks because it is projects. There's you know, people kind of hanging about doing different things as they walk up. There's kind of this like group of heckling men,
1: just black men hanging out.
0: Yeah just hanging out doing their thing and they uh, sort of heckle both Helen and Bernadette because it's very clear that (laughs) Helen and Bernadette are not from the area and of course it immediately looks like they're they're cops because they're dressed very as Helen puts it conservatively and so that sort of conservative dress makes them look a bit like cops, which obviously puts everyone on edge because police officers aren't famous for being great with people in poverty. So they kind of get heckled a bit and they go upstairs. They're walking around. Inside, it's very like gross and decrepit. There's like a a wall and like windows on the other side and there's a bunch of graffiti on it. And like the most important graffiti or like the biggest graffiti on it says, does it say so sweet? It says something sweet in it. Something like that. Yeah, so sweet. And of course, Helm's taking like a bunch of pictures. And then there's the very first jump scare, which is as she takes one of the pictures, one of the doors opens and there's like this big, like Rottweiler and, you know, this woman with a Rottweiler. And they like freak out and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, we didn't know anyone lived here, blah, blah, blah. blah. And they kind of rush off into uh, the abandoned apartment where the woman was murdered.
1: Where Ruthie Jean was murdered. They discover a room where it's basically like offerings have been left for Candyman. Like there's portraits of him. There's like art all over the walls and stuff. Like it's this big room and Helen isn't able to like be in there for very long, but it looks great. It's really cool. Before they leave, they meet the women again because the woman is like, what are you guys doing? And they talk and, uh, you know, we discover she has a son and she's like a single mom and she you know, she lives in the projects. And she talks a little bit about like, uh, you're going to like talk about how like, you know, bad we are, you know, poor people, you know, all this stuff. How we kill each other and all this different stuff. And it's kind of funny because I think in the next scene, they're out having a dinner with everybody.
0: The dinner scene is like the most, like speaking as someone who recently just left academia, right? Because I, I finally graduated from college. And I find the English department, which is basically what they're in. I mean, they're, like, in a philosophy or something like that. And it's of, like, the different academias. It's the most academic in, like, the silliest sense. Like, it's people, like, just obsessed with, like, writing papers and publishing papers. And, you know, it's this very strange, like, weird competitiveness that you see in that scene you know it's, it's a lot of like very pompous people sitting around talking about you know how brilliant they are and that's exactly what the scene is it's a bunch of people you know arguing about these myths and legends and it's kind of as you were talking about earlier i do find and i would agree that helen is a much more relatable character because unlike all the other people that are there including her husband yeah she seems to be the only one that legitimately cares about the people she's doing the research on like everyone else like they just care about like publishing papers, but she she like legitimately like wants to help these people. Now how she's going about it is it the best way, who knows, but she thinks she's doing the right thing. And while they're there, that is when the older professor, who's just like the worst person in the world, but great performance for like only what, being an Ellen.
1: I would say his uh, Ellen's husband is worse, but continue.
0: Oh, agree, agree, very much so. But okay. the professor, you know, is like, oh, I actually wrote a paper on Candyman Five or 10 years ago. And that's when we learned the original story of Candyman.
1: Yeah, he he says that, you know, Candyman was born in the late 1800s. Son of a slave became, you know, a well-known artist. And he was highly sought after to paint portraits of wealthy white people. And then he fell in love and got pregnant, the daughter of a wealthy family. And then they cut off his right hand. They smothered him with honeycomb and the bees like stung him to death. Um, And then they burned his body across the land on which Cabrini Breen was built. So, like, he was killed, like, where the housing project is. Once again, another pretty good, pretty clever, I guess, a metaphor uh, or something like that. You know, kind of uh, the bodies of the lynched slaves of the past. You know, they're everywhere. You know what I mean? And from the ashes of Candyman holds a building where Black people are murdered and, you know, essentially kept away from white society uh, to this day. You know, nothing has really changed in 100 years. Instead of maybe lynch mobs, it's, uh, you know, maybe moving people around and kind of uh, creating, you know, nothing against housing, but the housing projects are obviously completely fucked because of just poverty in general. So it's not a lynch mob, but it's uh, something akin to it. So...
0: I yeah. thought that was interesting.
1: And then I think, yeah, the next thing she returns to Cabrini Breen by herself, which is a, obviously a bad decision, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, talking a little more about sort of the housing projects and, and going back to a scene we talked about earlier where she talks about how the place that she lived was originally a housing project, but the reason that it didn't become a housing project or the reason that it didn't stay a housing project was because there was no way to separate that building from like the wealthy buildings, and it's really interesting because like if you look at like especially Chicago, um, and I think it's important that they chose Chicago because this is true in other big cities. But I think the way they district them, they often you hear like the phrase like the bad side of the railroad tracks. They often district areas by like landmarks. It's a way to like sort of separate the wealthy from the poor because they don't want to right. They want them to work for them. They want them to do all the work for them. They just don't want to actually you know be near them or see them, and that's why. Cabrini Green uh, exists because it's not near like the big skyscrapers or like the fancy part of Chicago. It's in this like dilapidated area and it's, it's purposeful.
1: I've never been around that area, but like how close is Cabrini Green? How close are they to, maybe they're not closer than I think, but like to like a, like a grocery store or <laughs> like, that would be interesting that I haven't been in that area before, but yeah, you're right. There's obviously like there's obviously a reason why built in place where it is yeah I find that uh, very interesting
0: and I think it's also interesting to note that when they tell about Candyman they don't actually show like it's not like one of those things where like they do like a flashback or like they show like what no, really, no. it's just them talking
1: but okay I will say though they talk but they also they play sounds There's yeah. sounds and stuff. Yeah. they use like audio and stuff which works really well it's very uh, it's very well done
0: even going further on your point I think this is purposeful not actually showing The Candy. I mean, partly it's just because like kind of raise the stakes of the mystery behind him. But I think the other part is that this is a movie about storytelling. It's not about what you see. It's about what you hear. It's about what you believe. And so, the idea of being told the Candy Man instead of being shown, which they also do in the new one in a little different way. They use like puppets, but by not actually showing the Candy Man by using again myth right even in the movie to sort of perpetuate the sort of terror. I think kind of perpetuates the ideas that are kind of going on, if that makes any sort of sense.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that flash would just like break up too much anyway. Like flashbacks, like they can be used well, but I think in this case it would have broken up a little bit too much. I think flashbacks can kind of be, serve as an interruption. Once again, you know, they're doing the horror movie thing where they're building up the villain. The quote-unquote villain, so they're like kind of building up like how like you know terrifying it is and how scary it is and how you know this or that you know what I mean. So it's pretty effective. Including we get the first encounter with Candyman. She goes to the Cabrini Green and she meets like a little boy and the little boy is like, "Hey, check that." Actually, that has a flashback where he's going to the boy and they go to like a bathroom, like a disgusting bathroom, and the boy is like, "Yeah, like uh, the Candyman killed a little boy there." And she's like, "What happens?" Like, "Yeah, the mother was at the store and it was like a." Someone with a mental disability, I guess, uh, the boy. And she's like, you know, stay here and, you know, I'll go to the store. And then the boy like cried out and they go in the stall. And it turns out that like his like, uh, I guess his uh, penis was cut off, which is like, whoa. I think the little boy says like, yeah, better off dead or something like that. And they're like outside the bathroom and then Helen's like, okay, I'm going to go inside. <laughs> I'm like, you wait out here. I don't know why she went, you know, she's brave, I guess, but you know, she's- Gotta get the pictures. And they go inside the bathroom stall, and then she is assaulted by a group of men, including a guy who is dressed up and calls himself uh, the Candy. And uh, she punches her in the face. And this part kind of confused me because it's like, what happened? I guess, like, the little boy got some help is what happened. Yeah. He got time before they were able to, like, really, like, really fuck her up. They assume that he is the guy who's committing all the murders, and then, like, I think it's funny, too, because she's assaulted, and then she leaves, and then her friend Bernadette is like, we're in the newspaper, so we're getting, like, all kinds of different, like, requ- like offers and stuff for our thesis and all this shit, and, like, she's like, yeah, 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 you know, all this stuff, and they're able to re- recover some pictures, too, which Helen looks at later, but then she, a- I think she actually meets Caney Man in the parking garage the first time.
0: It's kind of been, like, a couple of weeks since the accident happened, and, you know, she has this conversation with Bernadette, they're talking about, you know, how great it is, how... You know, suddenly now that this horrific thing has happened, they're able to get everyone wants their thesis. Also kind of showing how the news also, and this is more true in the second one than in this one, but still true in this one, how they sort of, when something becomes horrific or when there's like, right, when there's sort of this horror behind it, suddenly like everyone cares about it. No one really cared about the thesis before, you know, she's like attacked. But suddenly, right, now that she's been attacked, it's this amazing thing which is what really what the second one's about because he's like an artist and like he makes this like artwork and like no one cares about it but then like someone dies in front of it and suddenly like it's this great piece of art so yeah
1: that's, that's good that's good <laughs> yeah it's pretty much the same
0: thing yeah, yeah, yeah the concept so she, she's walking to her car and she hears like this really deep creepy voice and yeah. He turns around and standing in front of her is the real Candyman.
1: He kind of hypnotizes her and he's upset. By the way, played by the great Tony Todd. Very good actor. Is Does he play Candyman in the new one? I don't think so. Really? Mm-hmm. Tony Todd is like old. Now. Like I've seen like recent footage of him. I mean, you know, he's older, much older now than he was in 1992. He's, 30, he's like 30 years older. So I was wondering if they were using use him again, but he's so good. He has a great voice. He's very tall just like a very imposing guy. Very, very good.
0: No, I guess he is. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. Plays Candyman, I think he plays someone else. He plays like a, you know what? I don't know if he plays Candyman or, it's hard to tell because in the second one they don't really ever see his face. Why? I don't know. Yeah. It, most of the time it's like covered with like bees and stuff. So um, you not see his face.
1: Well, Johnny Todd's really good in it. And he uh, tells her, I, I love when Candyman talks, he has really good writing. Like, the rogue's lines are really good. He always says, like, really great lines. And he basically explains in a much more eloquent way that, like, she has kind of discredited his legend. You know what I mean? And he must now kill to continue to perpetuate himself. So at this point forward, the rest of the movie is very was very hard for me to watch. There's something about the rest of the movie, up until, like, the ending part, where... It's like really like, whoa, okay, I didn't expect this. It's like really hard to watch. I don't know if they do something like this in the new movie. No spoilers, but do they do something like this where like an innocent innocent person gets accused of something? Because I find that very like hard to watch.
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting about, and I would say the big difference and perhaps something that I don't know if I necessarily agree with between the first one and the second one is the first one, until the very end, and even you could argue at the end, you're never really sure if Candyman is real or not. Like you don't know if Helen is like murdering people and like she's just, right? But in the second one, it's very clear that Candyman is real, like is a real thing. And then the other thing is that while in the first one, I, you could say that a lot of people who are killed are innocent, in the second one, everyone who is killed while isn't necessarily you know a murderer, they're all racist people which is I think a really strange turn for Candyman because like right in the first one the people that she kills are kidnapped most of them are just like you know innocent people who didn't really do anything but in the second one they're all like all the people who are killed are terrible people and at the end of the second Candyman not to spoil anything, he becomes a sort of hero, which is weird when like watching these two back to back because it's a very different perspective, I guess, on who Candyman is.
1: Yeah, in the first movie, I wouldn't say that Candyman's a hero. He's a lost soul. So it's like we're sympathetic to his tortures, but he has to stop, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting, I guess. But like, yeah, like he's like, okay, now I got to kill a bunch of people. So Helen blacks out and she wakes up and it's like, this seems crazy. She wakes up in Anne-Marie's apartment, who's the person with the dog and the kid. And she's like covered in blood. And she's really good when she like wakes up. She's like, you know, she's like touching herself and stuff. Like seeing if she's like got stabbed or something. And she's like totally fine. And like her pet Rottweiler has been decapitated and the boy has been stolen. And then they attack each other because she's like, you're the only person in the apartment, Helen. Like you kill you what happened to my son you killed my dog and then the police come out of nowhere and they arrest Helen while Helen's defending herself so she has like a knife (laughs) like while the police are coming in she goes to jail and they like you know there's that great scene where she's like covered in blood and she has to like you know take off all her clothes and they you know she has to like take a shower and she's crying she's very good she's very very good and she's bailed out of jail And then she's like in her apartment and she's like distraught, you know, and she's like, uh, what are we going to do? Like, I, I don't even know where to begin, you know, as she's leaving too, she's leaving the jail. Like there's tons of like reporters and stuff and they cover her and they leave. And yeah, she's like totally distraught and she has no idea what she's going to do. Then she, she, she's now in their apartment and she's looking at her photographs.
0: Is this when she's alone? Yeah,
1: she's alone. She's looking at her photos. She's,
0: She's looking at the photos and that is her second meeting
1: yeah she like sees it in the mirror of like one of the pictures she's took
0: and so she's looking through it and you know she's freaking out now that uh candy man's here he's gonna kill her and there's a knock at the door it's Bernadette and she's like don't come in right here just, just leave leave and Bernadette's like what, what are you what are you talking about I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come in she's like "No, no no she's freaking out again like you said incredible performance terrified
1: Candyman, like, cuts her neck, and she like, like, she's, like, immobile. You know? mm-hmm.
0: She, like, can't move. She's freaking out. And then Bernadette walks in, and that's kind of where that scene ends, right?
1: Bernadette walks in. She's killed by Candyman. And, of course, once again, Helen is framed for the crime for killing her best friend. And uh, she is institutionalized into a psychiatric hospital. She's, like, sedated. And uh, there's a scene where she's, like, strapped in and, like, Candyman, which looks great. Candyman, like, yeah. floats, floats down. Her. And of course, you know, Candyman's lines, they're great, but I don't really remember what he says. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah. it's like, you probably have to hear it again. But yeah, he's just mainly like, I had to do what I had to do. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, you know, I, I think the idea is that like too, at this point is like Candyman loves Helen because of course he fell in love with probably someone who looks kind of like Helen originally. And he uh, loves Helen and he almost kind of is almost like begging Helen to submit to him I guess to die or whatever it is when she freaks out and stuff and then I think it's like I think she's there for a month or something like that which is crazy she's there for like a
0: month the way they do like the passage of time which I think is really interesting is like neither she nor the audience feels like it's been a month like it just feels like it's the next day
1: it really yeah it doesn't feel like a month they're like yeah we've been like drugging you for a month she's like oh
0: okay so she's taken to like a a psychiatrist or something she's Dr. Burke she's strapped into a wheelchair. She's rolled in, they leave. She's having a conversation with Dr. Berg. That's where we learned that it's been like a month and also further proof, or I don't know if you call it proof that Candyman doesn't exist. And she's like, no, 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 no. he does. He's real. He's here. And he's like, no, none of that's real, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Candyman comes
1: she says in the mirror, she looks into the mirror, and she does it yeah. and
0: then Candyman
1: kills the hell out of it. It's like, he like, it's so violent, like the way that the guy reacts when he gets yeah. stabbed. It's, like, oh. it's like, it's great. Great kills in the movie. And she's like, oh, whoa. And Candyman's like, okay, go. And he like <laughs> helps her out
0: and she escapes. She's yeah. smart. I mean, maybe she shouldn't have called Candyman, but who am I to say?
1: I mean, I guess it's our only way out of that situation. I mean, like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> which I guess I am a little confused. Um, was Candyman going to come anyway? It seems like he can do whatever he wants. Right, yeah. So I don't know what, like, I guess I don't know what summoning means. You know what I mean? Like when you do the mirror thing, what does that do?
0: I guess like it's like a phone call. So like you're, you're calling to him. Like, you, you know, he's doing his, I don't know, Candyman thing. And you're like, just like, hey, come over here. He's like, oh, okay. okay. That's fair. I think. Like, I mean, that's kind of how it is in the second one. I
1: guess it has been a month, so he's probably doing other things.
0: His well, murdering. I
1: don't know. So yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Like a phone call, and she <laughs> uh, she returns to her apartment, and she's like, "Well, this is unusual." She finds a uh, Stacy, uh, a student of her husband painting the room and like everything's covered up and uh yeah it turns out it's it's established earlier on that he's having an affair with this person and in fact earlier in the movie she tries to call the apartment later and i after she's first arrested and he doesn't answer because he's not there and then later in the movie he's like oh i was there i was asleep and then now it's come full circle where he has essentially restarted his life with his uh, st- Stacy and yeah Helen confronts him where she's like just really really angry at him just like oh wow okay yeah some guy you are I think that scene ends where she just leaves and then I think they call the cops or someone or something they call the hospital and they're like all freaked out and stuff like Stacy's like ah <laughs> it's a pretty uh great scene because she's like, because you're like yeah Helen, stick it to him he sucks and then she
0: goes to Cabrini Green again Does she go to Cabrini Green or does she go to the church? The church? I don't know if it's a church, but where the baby is. That's in the uh, apartment. Okay. Yes. So she goes back to Cabrini Green because Candyman had told her earlier that baby isn't dead and here's where it is. And if you sacrifice yourself or if you give yourself to me, Candyman, then uh, I'll let the baby live. So she's like, well, well, fuck. I don't have anything else to do, I guess. So she goes back to Cabrini Green, she goes to the apartment, I guess, and we see Candyman is sleeping, I think. He's like sleeping or something. And she goes up to him, of course he wakes up. They have a bit of a scuffle, and then uh...
1: she gives herself up to him. She like rips off like a shirt or coat and like his like ribs are like exposed, like his like bones and stuff yeah. are like kind of, like almost covered in muscles and stuff like and, you know, he's got bees in his, inside of him as well. And he's got bees all over his face and in his mouth, which is crazy. I believe Tony Todd did say that like he was stung up a little bit from it. But I think in the interview, there's a great documentary, Eric, I mean, called Horror Noir, which is a documentary about Black people in horror movies, in American <laughs> horror movies. Really nice little documentary where they just interview black filmmakers, actors, directors, old and new. Really great documentary. And uh yeah, Tony Todd, I think, talks a little bit about that where he's just like, Yeah, like that's how it was. You know, I did it. And uh I, I did get stung up a little bit. It's crazy. Like they're all up in his mouth. Like, how do you not have them fly into your throat? I don't know. Horrible. But yeah, like he did it and it's just unbelievable. It just shows his dedication as an actor. Which even even Helen, she's covered in bees too. Like they're flying yeah. all over. They're not in her mouth, but yeah, and he uh, yeah kisses her, and I guess she kind of be I don't know what happens, but he disappears with the baby, and she finds like a mural of Candyman, right, and the woman he fell in love with, and it looks like her. So it's like you know, it's like oh okay, okay, okay. Candyman likes her because she looks kind of like the person he loved when he died. I think at that point, Candyman's like, okay, I'll release the baby. Even though she already did the thing she was supposed to do, but you have to strike fear into, you have to like make Cabrini Green's residents afraid. So what happens is I think she hears a baby crying and it's like in a big bonfire pile, right? That was established early on.
0: It's like all of this like junk. I mean, it's it's like, I mean, it's probably like three, four stories high of just like wood and nails and just like garbage. And she hears baby crying. And so she like climbs up this garbage and into, cause it's assumed that the baby's inside. And so she climbs into it. And as she's climbing into it, the boy we met earlier doesn't see her climb in, but he sees the hook that she's holding. So it is assumed that the Candyman is in there. So him and everyone else at Cabrini-Green douse the whole place in gasoline and sets the stockpile aflame.
1: And she's like in there with the baby and the Candyman. It's kind of, it was almost like Candyman's playing. Like he's in there and they're like kind of fighting a little bit. But I think she, like, it's like a stick that's on fire and like stabs it into him. And she tries to like crawl out of the pile and stuff. And wood that's on fire is falling on top of her and she's on fire. She's desperately trying to call a claw out. You know, she's trying to protect the baby. And she claws her way out and, you know, she's on fire and stuff and like burns all of her hair off and she's totally burned and the baby is saved and then Candyman in the fire is also destroyed. I will say like the thing about Candyman is that like I don't understand like what his power levels are I guess if that makes sense. Like I don't know like what he can can and can't do you know what I mean? Like I, I would say that like it doesn't make the most sense to me for like a movie monster but it is a very good movie monster just because Tony Todd is like really really good at just like showing kind of like almost this like forlorn kind of feeling to the character of Candyman, but he's also really scary and violent. And, you know, it's just a really great performance, even though like, I'm not like totally sure like what he can and can't do. I guess he can fly and appear and make other people appear and disappear. But I guess he can just be killed by fires or something like that. And, you know, is he invincible? It seemed like he was pretty invincible, but I guess he wasn't. Once again, you know, it could be in Helen's head, but then again, he killed all these people. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I don't know if Helen could do something. I don't know. But that's just my problem with it. That's my kind of my only problem with the monster itself. And then, yeah, she dies.
0: They realize that she was in there, and they're like, oh, the baby's alive, which is good. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't kill the baby, because the movie was already pretty dark. So I'm glad they didn't uh, murder that baby. Helen dies. And I believe that's when we cut to our final scene, which is her husband and... Still uh Stacy, right? Yeah, yeah, they're still together for some reason. <laughs>
1: but they have the funeral first. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's... they bury Helen and yeah, Stacy and her husband are there, played by Xander Berkeley. He's good. I checked it on his thing, and he's been in a lot of movies. He's cool. I like him. He's a good actor. They're there because she's being buried, and then like the whole housing project, I guess we might say, comes and pays their respect and dropping in. The hook of Candyman, which I think the movie just should have ended there. You know, they drop the candy, they drop the Candyman hook in, they lower her down, and that's it. You know, that's the movie. But then, like you said, like you were about to explain, you know, they have the final, final scene.
0: I don't know. I kind of feel like I think it definitely would still work if it ended after the funeral. But I think there's something, to me at least, that kind of puts the final nail in the coffin. And well, here, let me talk about the final scene, and then I'll talk about why I think the scene's important. In the final scene, Stacy's you know she's not a great person but you know she's she's doing what she can so you know she's trying to uh console her uh you know husband who lost Helen and you know she's making food she's doing everything you can and he goes into the bathroom he's like traumatized and he says her name he says it five times Helen Helen Helen
1: I, I, I will say it's funny when Stacy's in the kitchen, she's like frustrated. She's mad. And she's like throwing like food around because she's like trying to cook dinner. That part's funny to me. I don't know. She's like, uh, you know, she's like, fuck this. <laughs> but yeah, he's like, he has regrets because he misses Helen.
0: Because, you know, he's a really shitty person. So he says Helen five times and Helen shows up as this candy man like. He's brutally yeah. murdered. And one of the final shots, of course, is Stacy holding a knife, suggesting perhaps that And obviously, she's going to be accused of murdering him.
1: And then you have the very last shot, which is kind of the church-like area in the apartment, where, which is like Candyman's lair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now there's a new mural of Helen. Her hair's on fire, and they zoom in on it, and that's kind of like during the credits to kind of show that, like, now she belongs to the local folklore of the... They're kind of... She's kind of, like, there... (laughs) It's kind of weird to say, because it is a little, like... There's something behind it, almost like kind of like yeah, the white woman was able to save the day. Was she was able to save us or something like that? But that's the movie.
0: The reason I think that scene with Helen is important is because this film is about myths and legends, and the whole film. And I would argue, and perhaps we disagree on this. I don't think Candyman, at least in the first film, in the second film, a very different arguments taken. I would argue that Candyman doesn't exist. The Candyman is just an idea people use to justify the terrors and horrors of the world. And Helen was kind of sucked into this sort of world that she couldn't get out of. And I think that's okay that at least in this film, not so much in the second one, all of the murders that happen could have been Helen. Like she could have done all of those things. There's none none of those things happen where like it was impossible. So like Candyman, you know, even though his powers are kind of, it's unclear what they are. I think they're not great enough that she's doing like these supernatural things, which happens like in in the next one, you know, the things that happen, it's like, it's very clear that Candyman's a very real monster being thing. And so the the scene with Helen, I think is important at the end is because it's saying that no matter what you do, you can't kill a myth. You can't kill a legend. Yeah, yeah. It just regurgitates in a different form. And that's kind of how it is at the end, right? Candyman becomes Helen and so on and so forth.
1: I think that's a pretty good reading of it. You could even say, though, at the end, is kind of like a a message on gentrification. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you had Candyman, who's a Black guy, who is, you know, kind of like a part of the history of the United States. And then you have, like, the white savior character. And, you know all this stuff is like i'm not saying that any of this stuff is bad or good just saying but you know you could have and then helen is like replaced and her face is everywhere you know she's the savior which she is in the general folklore of the region you know she saved the baby you know she was brave she did her thing but there is kind of like you know i would say that there's kind of maybe like a gentrification kind of thing to it my it's kind of hard to read you know like final part of the movie like for me the final very last scene that part it feels a little tacked on and it feels a little bit like just, you know, difficult to read, which is fine. You know, I'm just like not like it's such, a, it's just not my favorite part of the movie. I just find it kind of like we got to have the fucking, you know, thing and this, we got to have the thing. You have to have a scene at the end where she gets a revenge. I just think it's unnecessary and it feels like kind of like a studio inclusion, but it's definitely like you definitely could read it in some, it's still an interesting scene because you could read it many different ways. And it, it's not bad. It's just not my favorite ending ever, but it's still good.
0: Overall, would you rate this film, Andrew?
1: I would definitely give it an 8 out of 10. It's very good. You know, like I said at the beginning of the film, you know, I really like just how using kind of like the uh, the city of Chicago, it looks uh, fantastic. Just uh, the overhead shots are amazing. A lot of overhead shots we forgot to mention. Lots of overhead shots of people walking, of cars, of, you know, just really, really well done. I love, like I said, the Philip Glass screenplay. Not screenplay, the music. It really kind of chugs along the movie in a way and... Yeah, I think Candyman's a great villain. I think all the performances are really, really good. And I think all the themes in it are really interesting and very provocative and they still, you know, apply today. Race, like we talked about, social class, city life, urban life. Really, really well done, well directed, very well directed, very well directed movie. I honestly don't have any problems with like, kind of like the direction of the movie. It just maybe like some you know, elements here and there, but with like the story and stuff. But, you know, I was very, very impressed. And it's definitely probably like one of the best like, 90s horror movies I've ever seen it's very well done I'm a fan of Scream I'm a fan of I'm trying to think of like another 90s horror movie I guess like some Cronenberg movies that were made in the 90s that are really good but especially for a slasher movie very good 90s slasher movie very very good
0: yeah I, I think I'm of the uh, similar mind I'm also going to give this movie an 8 out of 10 I thought it was a really enjoyable experience I think it's a movie that has a lot to say which I mean, it's not that every movie has to have something to say, but I think if you are going to have something to say, you know, there's a lot more pressure to do it well. And I think the fact that it is simultaneously enjoyable and still has something to say really is a credit to film. And the fact that, you know, a film with so many negative things to say about American culture can be this famous, I think is is a big deal. And the fact that they can remake it and, you know, the film can do really well. And I think after having, you know, seen both Candyman, I think I have more respect for the original now that, cause even though like the new one, you know, they have great CGI and you have great effects and it's definitely scarier than the original. Do they use real
1: bees? No. Can you tell?
0: The scene, okay, so they repeat the scene where like the ants eat the, the bee, that scene you can tell that they aren't real. But when there's like a bunch of them and they're like buzzing around, you can't really tell. I get why they didn't use real bees cause you know. I would not use real bees, and all the more to Tony Todd for putting all those bees in his mouth, because I would never, you know, to be such a great such a great actor that you're willing to put dozens or hundreds of bees in your mouth is just absolutely terrifying. But, you know, having that all be said, I, I do think that the original is better than the remake for a lot of good reasons, um, even if perhaps maybe uh, Nia DaCosta, the director of the new one, has more visual finesse than the original and that might also just be a budget thing i think the second one just had a much larger budget than the original but overall i mean yeah. a real good film
1: you know i like it a lot I don't know if it's like a too like horror slasher movie for me i don't think it's going to be that but mm-hmm. very good
0: all right y'all thank you for listening i'm austin lugo you can find me at austin lugo one two i'm
1: andrew harp you can find me at adharp 24 on twitter
0: You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram at With Nothing to Say Podcast.
1: Yeah. Thank you for listening, guys. (laughs) Thanks, guys.